for me. It's probably not been your typical experience, really, Chris. Um, so I, uh, for the duration of January, February and March, was on my strategic command course. Okay. That's the course that you do if you aspire to be a, a chief officer. Um, and we finished that uh, a matter of days early because clearly uh, a lot of my colleagues and myself were getting called back to forces. Um, and therefore I graduated uh, along with my colleagues uh, early and then survived all of about 24 hours before I was seconded onto my present role, which is uh, the chairman of the uh, COVID-19 National Foresight Group, which we'll no doubt talk about in due course. Uh, from a family point of view, uh, we've been blessed. None of our friends or family uh, have, uh, have suffered uh, the COVID virus. Um, we've, we've, we've managed to uh, avoid it, um, but it's been pretty hectic. Um, certainly when I hear about colleagues working from home, um, we've not really had the opportunity to do that because the role of public service puts, yeah. uh, as indeed it does with all our, our frontline staff, up close and personal really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That sort of the, the, the key workers playing such an important role for us. And, you know, I think everyone is, everyone has kind of had a refreshed view of the value that such work has provided in so many different ways for us over the course of the last few months as well. And I think, you know, there's a huge amount of gratitude for that as well, but ongoing gratitude as things, you know, un, you know, as lockdown eases and, and other challenges come along, I guess, as well. So uh, uh, it's great. And, and you say so you say you're in you're in Lincoln, you're at uh, Lincoln City Football Club, just uh, sort of gone into that kind of uh, command qualification that you've just been through as well. What it just a little bit of story of, of, of what's led you to getting to that point and doing that qualification. Just that, you know, I guess a bit of a potted a career history. Okay. Interesting, sure. Yeah, um, so I grew up in inner city Nottingham uh, as, a, as, a, as a young lad uh, with, with my mum, who uh, effectively was um, shared between my mum and my dad as single parents who were divorced. Um, so I grew up in quite a deprived area of Nottingham. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite tough. Uh, and I remember, crikey, uh, age of about 10 or 11, uh, I'd, I'd managed to get myself five pounds to go and get a haircut and I was walking down to the barbers uh, for my sort of monthly haircut and I remember being robbed at knife point which you know at the age of 10 uh, was was uh, clearly a shock mm. um, although not unusual for that area at the time um, but I guess that was probably my first experience of that uh, interface with being a victim and seeing it from a member of the community side and, and that always left me uh, a long legacy really in terms of my uh, wish to support public service and protect those vulnerable, myself then being vulnerable really by reason of age. Um, and then you wind that on. So I was born in 72. Uh, I was 16 at the time of the Hillsborough disaster. And of course, uh, the, the, the tragic circumstances of that are, are well rehearsed and understood. But that was my first away match. Um, I was a Forest fan, still am, uh, even though yeah. I sat here at Lincoln City. Yeah. Um, but so that was my first away match. I remember travelling on the bus uh, to Hillsborough, uh, going in the opposite end to Leppings Lane, um, and then obviously seeing that unfold. And remember getting back on the bus. Uh, of course, we were all delayed, understandably, because of the, the vast amount of emergency effort that was going on the pitch and around the ground, and just being left left numb, uh, absolutely numb, and indeed feeling helpless. Um, we were all, of course, behind those uh, old-style fences uh, yeah. for reasons that you know we, we, we now understand. Um, but that sense of not being able to help and yet being so close to seeing you know, people sadly die uh, and 
and there's there's not many days that I don't think about those 96 that died uh, at Hillsborough between uh, you know the Forest and Liverpool uh, game. So um, sad events, and that leads me very much into uh, why I became a police officer. Um, uh, and what you know, indeed, I've been very fortunate to go on to be uh, in charge of some significant football matches as a Gold Public Order Commander, uh, and in, and indeed wanted to go on to be a, a firearms commander, CBRN commander and indeed in charge of some of the uh, roles that local resilience forums, LRFs, play. And we'll no doubt talk about that because they're very much the Cinderella uh, of, of emergency services but, and do a fantastic job and have been the lifeblood of, of, of all the response and recovery efforts around COVID-19. Uh, they are uh, fantastic, fantastic colleagues coming together in quite extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, 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 I, I think that's a kind of a fascinating backstory and you know you can see the desire to serve and as you say protect people unable to but also you know take charge of, of situations where there might be an opportunity to you know um, to support people proactively as well and, and, and keep people safe and uh, would, would yeah. you when you reflect on if I knew then what I know now um, how far back do you go in terms of some of the kind of you know light bulb moments or the reflections of actually that was useful knowledge that I gained or or if I'd had that earlier it would have been useful here. Where, where does where does the thought take you, Sean? Um, I, I genuinely learn something new every day. It is that you know that old cliche about every day is a school day, and you know with twenty three and a half years service now in public service, um, it's not a day that goes by where. I don't learn something else off, off a colleague, off a victim, or, or, or indeed um, the wider community. Um, there are some reference points in particular where I think I wish I'd done things differently. Um, but I, I think that duty of candour and that ability to take some reflective practice, uh, and indeed in a really transparent, safe way, but not attribute blame is really important for all of us because um, of course, things go wrong. Um, that's human nature when you introduce you know, our staff, our colleagues, and under really dynamic uh, circumstances, of course, things will go wrong. Uh, I think it's commendable to those that take time out to reflect and take the learning from that, as I say, in a, a non-attributable blame way uh, to take the very best of learning and carry that forward, that, that looking back to, to look forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Dan and I were talking last week briefly around just culture. And, you know, I think that at the beginning of Sidney Decker's book, he, he recounts a, a, an incident in the Sussex police um, involving someone who happened to be in the year above me at university. So I was kind of, you know, that, that, that the person at the, the, the heart of that incident, you yes. know, was, a, was the focus of the, the challenge of providing restorative justice when everyone wants recriminatory justice in those understandable situations where things haven't gone as desired and I, I wonder did is, is there anything in you that you've learned about yourself that allows you to you talk about that candor you talk about that ability to seek the right kind of restoration of justice is, is there anything that you reflect upon about you stuff that you learned early or stuff that you've learned that helps you keep that mindset of doing the right thing taking care of the restoration of what's happened to people and putting them in a position to potentially move forward again? Yeah, the, 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 there are. I mean, some instances, of course, are sensitive and although yeah. they're natural 
reference points for me. Um, regrettably, we can't go there, but I yeah. think the general principles are you, you try your very best at that time, uh, as indeed do all my colleagues around me. Um, they're all absolutely committed to public service. When you look at the unprecedented demands that they have day in, day out, at times, you know, at three o'clock in the morning when, when you and I sleep soundly and safely in our beds because of all that they do, mm -hmm. um, then uh, I think there's something around accepting that on occasions we won't get it right. Uh, and indeed, the right thing there to do is to make sure we do that reflective practice, hold the mirror up to ourselves and take the very best of learning from that which is critical to always continuous improvement, whether that be in my world or indeed uh, participants' worlds today, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and do you do that reflective practice equally when things have gone well? So do you, do you get the opportunity to deconstruct, you know, uh, really great moments of service and impact where stuff has followed through? Is, is, is that done in the same way with the same quality as well? I, I don't think it's done with the same rigour. It's really difficult, right. isn't it? I think as human, as human nature, we tend to look at what's not worked, what we could do differently, uh, rather than perhaps celebrate success and celebrate all that's gone otherwise so well. So I do try now to make a determined effort to do that and inc include colleagues to do that, because actually, often there's some really good practice that already exists, and therefore, why would you reinvent the wheel when actually those colleagues there are doing a fantastic job um but you're right it is a challenge to adopt that mindset yeah I, I, and, and I, you know one of the one of the principles of the just culture is you know you 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 assume throughout your culture everyone is starting with a positive intent having qualified to be in the position to use that positive intent to do as much good as possible and, and that's why it's, it's always interesting to me that, that, that so therefore following through when that positive intent delivers and their brilliance has an impact being able to magnify that and and have that as the I guess the gold standard as, as well going forward is, yes. is, is is always interesting as well and I, you know as, as you say human nature means that we probably you know bulk against the negative rather than step into the spotlight and kind of go look at look how brilliant yeah. it's not as well rehearsed and it, and it, no and it, it plays out in in the current role um as, as chair of the C19 National Foresight Group um, it is quite extraordinary to be able to do a review or a debrief mid-crisis. Yes. Um, emergency services partners are well-practiced at having a significant incident and then doing a debrief after that event. Now, of course, because C19 has such a long tail, mm -hmm. response, dual response, and then response and recovery into recovery, um, it, that affords us the time and of course there's been no more acute time to do that because this is the time where we can continue to save lives relieve suffering and support local communities in peril and therefore what we've been doing is to do some uk-wide reviews uh, in support of the government in support of uh, partners that work as part of those local resilience forums uh, that are doing all the hard yards and efforts uh, over and above the frontline service to make sure that we are doing our best to respond to this emergency and recover from that emergency. And I have the privilege of working with um, two organisations, the Hydra Foundation and Professor Jonathan Crago, and then Nottingham Trent University, who do the analysis of all of that review for us. And the kind of uh, mindset that Jonathan uh, presents to us is not to ask 
uh, what isn't working. Sorry, what 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 is working? But what yeah. you're most proud of? Uh, because when you turn it and put what are you most proud of, people can normally uh, acknowledge that and recognise that and say, I'm really proud of that. Um, but you're right. The questions such as what isn't working and what would you do differently, people naturally latch on to because, of course, that's the nature of reflective practice in most of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's making me think as well here about the power of if I knew then what I know now in a much shorter reflection route. You know, I think... When I, when I started talking to people about this, the tendency is for, for people to go back quite deep into history rather than in the last three months, in the last 10 days, and, and that constant, yes. well, actually, if we, if we knew then what we know now, that would have been different, but what might we do today, which can now pay service to that new knowledge? I, I guess you've had a lot of, you know, really quick feedback feed forward loops over the last three months and a very steep learning curve, which is, which is probably, you're still in the thick of as well. Is it, has, has there been anything for you through your career that served you well to use this much sort of sh shorter feed forward feedback loop really effectively over the last few months? Any, anything you've learned? I, I, I think one, it's the value of doing that review mid crisis uh, rather than just doing it after the event, because here is the time where you can literally carry it forward into the emergency rather than just taking it into the next emergency of whatever that may be. And then making sure that you share that learning uh, widely uh, with those people that can make a difference and pull those levers and impact therefore positively on public service, particularly those most vulnerable. There's no point me doing a review and then it not seeing the light of day until many years after when clearly it's important that we we carry that learning forward now to save lives, relieve suffering, and support those local communities now. Yeah, and and, and is ha, is there has there been an increasing ease for you to be in the that broadcast position uh, where you are trying to help other people get the learning and take on board the learning, and and it has to come from you. Yeah, you know, I, I guess that that becomes a spotlight position. And, and, and have you learned anything in terms of how to do that with maximum confidence or feel that you're going to sort of, you know, deliver the message in a way that's going to be really heard and understood and valued? I, I think there's something around tying it into values and making sure that you're reaching out for that, starting with the why uh, in terms of we all, all of those that are involved in, in that experience, um, whether that be government departments, partners, uh, volunteers or the local resilience forums that are, are doing all of the hard yards on this um, they all have the same genuine ambition which is to save lives relieve suffering and support the, the recovery of our local communities so I think binding them to that and reminding those colleagues why we seek to do the review and why we seek to take the very best of learning uh, that's the easy part then because of course people all have the same overarching strategy and are naturally wedded to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and along the same theme, I'm, I'm, I'm interested because, you know, there's a lot of people we work with across a lot of different sectors who, you know, often find themselves in a room. It's not necessarily broadcasting to people that they're leading, but it's interacting with people who are pretty senior or, you know, there is a, an air that comes with them. What, what, what's been your learning that's allowed you to be in those positions where there's some, you know, some pretty senior people, some big decision makers, and, and you're sharing your voice with confidence and, and authority, 
even though that feels like maybe a big ask sometimes. Yeah, I, I guess it's that ability to speak truth to power. Okay. Um, and and, and uh, again, my style is, is very much a collegiate one. Uh, don't get me wrong, if it's a public order incident uh, where there's less time afforded and we're making some dynamic decisions, then of course that's very much more of a command and control element. But my personal style is one of operating across multidisciplinary teams, uh, a collegiate one, and making sure that it's not the same group think and therefore having not just diversity within your team, uh, but also diversity of thought. So um, I've, I've probably only discovered in the latter third of my career around the value of making sure that you afford time to what you might refer to as the renegade archetype. archetype. So um, those colleagues that perhaps uh, are, are more outspoken, uh, but on the opposite side of the spectrum, making sure as well that you're affording time to, to those who are slightly perhaps more introverted, quiet leadership. Um, because, and Dan referenced this last week, he would sit there as a, a Royal Navy commander in front of a team that would perhaps want to say what they think and expect them to, he would want them to say. Um, but actually, when it comes to how are we going to be innovative, how are we going to protect those most vulnerable, how are we going to support our communities, that public service driver, I'm not the one who's got those ideas. It's my job to facilitate uh, those ideas. And the more diversity of thought that exists within that team, within that room, within that plan of work, uh, and clearly that's required around not just groupthink, but making sure that we're listening to those opposing voices as well. So I suppose to ask you a question, I carry that through uh, when I find myself in the same situation to make sure that uh, our voice is heard, but in a really uh, professionally curious and courteous way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and digging into that truth to power concept a little bit more, because, I, I, you know, that's something that is really incredibly valuable and you know we, we as a business certainly try and do that in some of the work that we do through lots of different organizations but it's not easy no. and i'm wondering for you was there any uh teaching or learning or influences that kind of gave you a good sense of actually okay that's that's how you do truth to power that's how you or that that's why me getting better at it is important to do was there anything that helped you uh i've, I've certainly uh, again, it's a learning experience for me. Uh, I've had experiences where, um, in terms of my colleagues talking to me, in terms of me being the, the power, so to speak, in that, yeah. uh, and making sure that I'm far more amenable and receptive to that, because it's a very brave constable that approaches a senior officer and says, boss, I think you've got this wrong, and better still, I've got a better way. So to make sure that you afford space and time to that, and give that colleague the respect that she or he deserves in terms of that kind of, of, of approach. Uh, and like all things in terms of riding that bike, you, you slowly learn to adjust your style uh, for the tone and manner, and indeed the person that you're trying to perhaps persuade and ensure that your voice is heard. But I, I, I tend to take the view, a bit like the previous answer, I'll tie it back to their values and our values in terms of common objectives, and what it is that we've got in common to ensure. And, and for my area of business, that's normally making sure that we do our very best for the public, save lives, keep them safe, protect those who are most vulnerable. And, and that's a natural connection if you're working with anyone in public service, whether that be government, civil service, uh, through to partners and those local resilience forums. That's why they exist. That's what 
uh, I would suggest drives them and causes them to get up in the morning. Uh, and that's what they think about perhaps when they're putting their head on the pillow last night. Yeah. Yeah, it's what you think. So it was uh, Olympic Day this week, so there were lots of sort of Olympians sharing their favourite moment on social media, and there was a, there was an exchange between um, Gary Herbert, who coxed Johnny and Greg Searle in 1992, and Matthew Pinson, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure in in their gold medal winning race, Gary as the cox used the phrase, "If if not you, then who? And if not now, then when?" And, and it kind of makes me think about the truth to power bit as well, actually. Yeah. Checking in. Well, if if I'm not going to do it, who is going to provide this insight narrative? And if I'm not going to do it now, then you know, is there a better time? And and, and when might that be? And and actually, even though that's a, a motivational phrase in a lot of sports settings, from a truth to power piece as well, clarifying that role of well, if it's not me, who is it? But actually, I think it is my role, and 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 stepping into that that duty. And it feels like from the very outset, you've got a, an incredibly strong sense of duty to serve. And and I wonder if you know, if if that was something you noticed even before sort of early childhood experiences and being a victim or whether that, you know, that, that duty to serve and, and play your part, has that always been with you? Has that been magnified more? Is, is, is there, have you got any reflections on that? Uh, I, two bits really, um, in terms of the truth to power bit and it being your time, I think the other thing is, there's so much ambiguity at the moment uh, in the world, uh, particularly with this crisis, um, that the role of a leader is to instill some certainty amongst all of that ambiguity. That's your opportunity to step up and provide uh, those who work alongside you, those who work on your behalf, uh, and indeed for the members of public that we serve, um, to instill some, some uh, confidence and some certainty amongst all of that. That's why... Uh, leaders uh, exist in part mm -hmm. for me um in terms of um sorry just reminded me of the, the duty, second part duty of to serve and kind of you know where where that you know has that always been with you even though it may have been magnified by some personal experiences does that is that deep in your character do you think and, and events kind of magnified it further yeah I, I, I think it is. Um, it survived contact uh, working, uh, sorry, growing up in an area where uh, police officers weren't that popular, uh, frankly. Um, I, I think if I reflect on, on those times when I was either playing on the sports field or playing with my mates on the Riverline, um, then uh, police officers weren't particular good company and popular uh, within that peer group. And there's no doubt about it. Um, I, I made a conscious choice to make sure that I went a particular career path rather than others that were available to me. Um, and and, and I, I think moments like Hillsborough uh, were probably what solidified for me my early years ambition to then go on. Uh, I, 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 I went on to do a law degree. Uh, at that time, it was still a case of, I really want to go into policing, but I might not be good enough. Uh, I might not make it, uh, I might not be physically or medically fit enough when I choose to go for it. Um, but again, having completed my law degree, um, went the first time, wasn't successful, um, joined as a special constable um, to try and one, reassure them that I was ready and two, try before you buy. Uh, and yeah. for those watching, the role of a special constable is absolutely fabulous. Uh, they, they work uh, plenty of hours over and above uh, their day job and contribute a fantastic amount of effort to public service 
Uh, and then uh, I was then fortunate to be accepted uh, by Lancashire at the age of 24. And I've never looked back. It is a fantastic, fantastic career. Um, the, the challenges for police officers and indeed all key workers uh, are, are quite unprecedented. When I look at my own uh, colleagues uh, working at police constable, sergeant level, etc., um, they go from job to job to job, whether that be a road traffic collision, uh, then perhaps dealing with a sensitive issue around a child sex exploitation or viewing of indecent images, uh, then through to uh, supporting the nighttime economy uh, and supporting some of the calls for public order uh, that we get. Um, and, and that drip, 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 and some of the things that our colleagues see um, leaves a significant impression. And of course, they are humans, not machines. Uh, and a little bit like a piece of string, there comes a point at which they may physically or mentally uh, snap. And that takes a particular burden back on, on themselves, uh, both in, in, in the work professional life, but also in the personal one. But they take that back to the families as well, Chris. So the right. whole well-being piece uh, is, is really, really important. Uh, and I think in recent times, through the leadership of uh, Chief Constable Andy Rhodes, who's the, the NPCC lead for wellbeing, right. we've really stepped up uh, and acknowledged the services and the skill set and support that our colleagues need to make sure that they are well supported during these unprecedented times. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that because I, I think that whole area of sort of a, a sort of acute and chronic trauma and the combination is, is really fascinating from a personal performance, a leadership point of view, particularly in environments where who you are and your role really matters to you as a person. Um, yes. Yeah, the, the identity, that's, that's really fascinating. Just before we get into that, um, you talked about the leadership role and sort of creating certainty in the times of ambiguity at the moment as yes. well. And I wonder... How much are you finding that useful for yourself, you being in the position to be seeking to create certainty for others? Uh, yeah, and how, 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 how does that help you even before it helps other people? Um, I'm used to living in a fairly uh, ambiguous world, really, both, both at home. Um, we have uh, six children um, back at home, so uh, they, they keep us busy. So uh, life is, is certainly fluid. Um, and then the workplace as well uh, and the challenges that we have uh, currently, uh, both within the usual uh, demands upon policing and currently upon uh, local resilience forums and COVID. Um, so I guess there is something around wanting to provide certainty uh, for the public and as much as yourself as well. But I sort of accept that I can't always provide the certainty for me, but I'll try and in instill it uh, through my leadership to others. Uh, and we're normally quite good at, at, at coping with that kind of flexibility. I think uh, it's rare to find a public service uh, person that actually isn't used to be dealing with ambiguity and that sort of lack of certainty. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, they're really, really useful. I'm just really interested at the moment in terms of how people are helping themselves through their roles, even though they recognise that part of their role is primarily helping other people as well. And there's that kind of, you know, service to self as well as service to others, I think, which, which is a yes. key balance. Um, and it... Um, you know, I'm just thinking someone I was coaching 18 months ago sort of used the phrase to me that it's hot in the spotlight, you know, so you'd better kind of be ready for it. And I'm wondering about, 
your thoughts about well-being, as you just mentioned, and and and, and is there stuff that you know now about well-being that that hasn't been in place before that is being particularly useful? Are there attitudes towards well-being that that are particularly helpful right now for you in in guiding support that's being provided or sort of you know um just leadership style even yeah i think i think it's probably two parts really um first and foremost it starts with me because i need to ensure that my well-being is is intact and that i'm looking after myself um to be then responsible for my team uh, and indeed then delivering that through leadership to public service so um, more than ever, I keep myself in check. Um, there's things like where do you build your capacity from because right. um, it can be quite wearing. So I, I recognise now that there's certain things that I enjoy um, and that actually in my, in my moments of reflection or my sort of dark hour that I need to, one, identify that dark hour uh, and two, support network around you, whether that be friends, family, uh, again, it's part of that opening your Jahari window and, and sharing as yeah. much as you sensibly can. Because again, in our roles, there's some things that you can't share. You can only talk about the principles of, of, of that event that's occurring. Uh, but to make sure that I, I do those things that I enjoy in that time that I, 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 I get to take off. Um, so for me, I enjoy my sports. Uh, I uh, try to indulge upon those as much as I can. Um, I enjoy just sitting in front of the TV and watching something that, you know, frankly, is, is, is not mind consuming and just easy going. Um, and then I do quite a lot with um, our mini police. Uh, I'm one of the national leads for mini police. So I enjoy a lot from youth engagement. So where I have time, that's one of the ways that I'll build capacity in me. Um, that's all then about making sure that I'm in the best possible position then to look after the well-being uh, of, of, of others. And you're right, um, in terms of, first and foremost, an investment in, in time, both in, in peacetime, but also when those staff need you, it's really important that, that staff have that relationship with you uh, so that they can reach out. Um, a broad array of services now uh, that weren't previously uh, employed within emergency services, ranging from making sure that our staff associations are there to give fantastic support. We're blessed with the Police Federation. They do a su superb job uh, locally, regionally and nationally. Then even looking at things like neurolinguistic programming and, and um, tra trauma um, at TPIMS, in, so, uh, yeah. sorry, TRIM, in terms of uh, managing, uh, yeah, manage, managing all of, all, all of that in support of those colleagues that are just facing unprecedented times and recognising that goes beyond those staff as well uh, to their families as well because of the, the legacy that leaves with their families yes yeah yeah yes. one of the um uh, one of the team yesterday was having a conversation with a business around making you know some of our mental health content available to the families of the people who work for the business yes. and not and not just the business and that kind of extended model of support i think is one that's going to become more more and more the norm um and, and i'm interested you know you talk about the capacity piece and certainly for for folks listening who are familiar with the performance room there's a lot we do around capacity getting fit for purpose do you feel ready to do what you need to do there's some of the recent stuff we've put on about put your own oxygen mask on first as a leader to, to before you, you yeah. before you help others there's some really practical stuff around that but but i'm also interested in in all of that in the context of now but against that previous description you gave where 
people are regularly exposed to traumatic things anyway, even before we went into COVID. You've got people who are kind of potentially in acute or chronic trauma, then going into another period of high stress uncertainty on top of that as well. And, and I just wonder if, there's, if you've had any learnings or reflections on, you know, going to another level of stress when people are already in a pretty, you know, stressful environment anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the C19 COVID lens, if, if that's the, the additional pressure you're referring to, yeah, yeah. Um, definitely puts a different complexion on this because uh, people will have naturally already had their own pressures uh, to bear and their own demands upon them. Uh, and then C19 has undoubtedly a, a really, really long tail. We are far from being out of the woods. Uh, of course, there's been some relaxation uh, as we tip from response into recovery. But when you look at, uh, and this is common to all people, not necessarily emergency services, but when you look at uh, the mental health uh, consequences of an enduring lockdown, uh, loneliness, isolation, uh, for some we've seen uh, some addiction rise around online gambling because they're being uh, restricted to being within uh, the home place. Um, and then the impact around furlough, unemployment, um, denial of academic justice. Uh, I mean, one of, uh, one of my uh, children, um, 18, and was expecting to do A-levels to then go into university. It's a very, very different landscape. Um, so you're right, it adds an additional burden, uh, and that has to be part of the recovery process, because if that's not addressed, then that will leave a significant impact for generations well beyond yours and mine. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I wrote something a little while ago going into sort of lockdown. I think it's really safe to just assume that everyone is stressed and whatever they're showing, if we assume that there is a stress, how do we then start looking out for people to, to one, help manage that, but two, reduce some of that and move back to a position of sort of non-stress or, sort of, or, or coping. Um, and, and it just makes me think about that environments of the emergency services, you know, and, and the mental health support that is provided, you know, is it, is it assumed from the outset that we are, you know, asking people to live in an unreasonable environment where actually there is challenge all the time and, and people are put in situations which are stressful and there's those sort of mini cuts that kind of build up over time. It, it has, has that changed in terms of the recognition of that over time and it, has support been changing as a function of that? Yeah, I, I think we all have our own threshold. We all have our own coping mechanisms. And I think we've all looked at ourselves in terms of how, how we might deal with uh, the restart and, and, and what is a new norm uh, to all intents and purposes. Um, I think the other thing is though, so you're right, that services have changed. Uh, people like NHS England, local mental health trusts have been really agile in terms of how they repurpose and pivot to deal with that, with that new world. And there are so many fantastic voluntary organisations out there. You know, help is just a telephone call away or, mm. or a, a digital uh, teleconference now. Um, but I think the other thing is just applying that positive mindset that you were talking to earlier on in terms of what should we celebrate, what should we be most proud of. There have been a lot of positive opportunities uh, emerging from this. When you look at some of the, the kindness and the charity uh, that's been applied by so many communities, I can't help but think the power of our communities has to be the way forward. That 
that cohesion of communities coming together, embracing this and making sure that restart and recovery is a really positive opportunity and that we look after ourselves. And, and, and kindness is often underrated, but I, I think this is one of those opportunities where we do need to come together and show that kindness and charity that's, that's within us all. Yeah. yeah. No, I, th I think it's really interesting. Wow. Mindset expectations are shifting and, and, you know, the recognition of proactive support rather than waiting for things to break. There's, there's, there's just such a good move in the right direction. And, 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 that, and that's, you know, can only be really helpful when we're helping people get better at seeking support. You know, we're, we're helping them improve it rather than sort of helping them get better at using it once it's perhaps gone past the threshold. Um, and, and, and I wonder in, in the sort of, because it's a, it's a very wide ranging working group that you've got within the COVID-19 force. Have, have you been able to get any new insights or learning as a function of some of the, you know, the different um, groups that you're working with, people that you're working with, expertise that you're having really close working relationships with? Yeah, indeed. It, it's a multidiscipline team. So um, we're blessed with, so we are an independent group, right. uh, but we have the participation of uh, likes of uh, Cabinet Office, uh, Ministry for Housing, Communities, Local Government, um, Public Health England, NHS England, Department of Health and Social Care, uh, supporting the local resilience forums of which there are 38 uh, across uh, the country. Uh, and that gives a really different insight. Uh, and, you know, it really is to their credit, uh, government included, that they're holding the mirror up to themselves and want to embrace that, that duty of candour so that we can make sure that we keep you know, that proverbial sword sharp and improve the service and improve the response and dual recovery uh, so that we can get ahead of this uh, and then start to, 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 to emerge through that restart and recovery. Yeah, yeah, you know, you mentioned the housing service there and, and, I, and I think that's fascinating from my knowledge of, of the work that was done there around creating psychologically informed environments where everyone who is involved is, is able to uh, be, be party to decision making that has got the psychology of people at the heart of it rather yes. than this process and sort of you know very procedural decision making are we psychologically informed in what we understand about the individuals um, their psychology their mental health and have we got a common language around that stuff and you know it's it's great to know that organizations that have got that kind of bias are also being involved with other organizations that have got to you know that bring a different strength to that as well and I, and I think psychologically informed environments become more and more powerful for all of us as we go forward I don't know if that's come up in any of the conversations but it you know feels like a very pertinent area for me yeah it is and and, and you're right a very much a, a multidiscipline team spectrum of thought and that keeps them really sharp to make sure that that continuous improvement that's so critical and key here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And last, last thing for you, I'm, I'm, I'm interested just in terms of your reflections, having recently done that qualification and managed to graduate just before lockdown, was, was, was there anything that you reflect back on, if I knew then what I know now? Was there anything earlier in your career that, that actually was really useful learning that going into that most recent qualification actually gave you great perspective, gave you great appreciation, gave you great understanding of the leadership opportunity that further, you further opened up for yourself. I, I think there's something around making 
every second count in terms of your experience. Um, I've been privileged to have some really unique experiences over 23 and a half years working here at Lincolnshire Police within the local um, Resilience Forum, seconded to Fire Rescue and the County Council, uh, some secondments internationally, and then latterly here at the National Foresight Group. There's something around make your opportunities, enjoy uh, those every second counts, because there really is no replacement for that experience. In my dark hours, I do draw back on, on two routes, really. One is that peer support around, but most importantly, that learnt experience, the reflections of what I'm proud of, uh, and indeed what I'm not so proud of in terms of those areas where you, you could have done something differently, could have made improvements, and to constantly draw down on that. And I think my biggest takeaway, uh, from one of the biggest takeaways from the command course was just uh, the power of relationships, okay. whether that be the power of your teams and colleagues, uh, the power of communities coming together, uh, and the power of partners as in partnerships. Um, and to make sure that um, in peacetime, you make that investment so that when you're in an emergency like this, you can draw down on those experiences, hit the ground running, and then do what we're paid to do, which is uh, deliver a public service that is worthy of the United Kingdom. Yeah, no, no, really, really strong. <laughs> makes me really sort of reflect on a couple of the things that you said that, you know, making every second count could sound exhausting, which is why the taking care of yourself stuff on the other side of it is, is so important as well to, to balance those things as well. And that having the capacity bit, you know, you've really clearly articulated that you've got to fill the well in order to be able to draw on it. And that feels, you know, like you've got a great recipe worked out for yourself there. It, it, it has its payoff. And, you know, if we were talking regrets, then, you know, I, I regret missing some family moments. Your youngest is, is, is seven today, and I know uh, you're going to go and celebrate uh, a birthday weekend, and you know, many, many congratulations. I, I think when I look back at some of the birthdays, uh, the sports days, uh, um, the nativities uh, that I've missed, um, that's something that I, I would seek to change and seek to change in future. And indeed, now I'm more minded as a leader. Um, that ability to be able to say to one of your, your team, go, whether that be in uniform or not, it does not matter. Those are also crucial matters in every second counts to make sure that you have that balance of professional life with your family life, because those two parts really do matter. And I think on reflection, I've not always got that right. Um, and that's in my um, must try harder box. Yeah, no, no, so, so again, you know, very humble, humble reflections as well, because certainly giving yourself a big challenge of moments to miss with six, six in the family as well. So I think, you know, it's kind of yeah. a, a high bar as well. But no, really, really humble. And I love that, that reflection on, you know, both looking back to the command learning, the human relationships, the importance of the ongoing relationships here for you, the truth to power piece that, you know, there's so much here, which is coming through, which is person to person, people to people, taking care using positions, you know, in a way that is always supporting as well. And, you know, what, regardless of the uniform or the title, that, that desire to kind of connect with other people and make a positive difference as a function of the relationship that's coming through kind of loud and clear and everything. And I get, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of people who are, you know, probably in a, a privileged position to be led by you as well as you knowing the privilege and responsibility you have of leading them. And that, that, you know, that blends for a very powerful working environment as well. So, um, 
thank you for your candor. You said before that you, you know you were gonna you you enjoyed using candor and, and some some self candor there as well. It's, it's sort of great. So uh, hugely appreciated. Lots of really kind of great reflections and uh, um, and and as we as we kind of draw to the end of, of today, um, uh, I'll give you couple of last bits any any final final thoughts and then who are you handing over to in terms of the uh, the baton as we move into leg eight next week of the podcast relay yeah indeed um i, I think my, my final thoughts are um i've been very candid around regrets uh, i think if you turn that to a positive um making sure that you make the very best of experiences with your with your team. I've not always got it right, um, and it's it's brave PCs and sergeants and inspectors and above that have told you not got it right. So that ability to to listen to your team, but be uh, in a position where you are approachable to genuinely receive and indeed respond to that, and then the family bit as well, uh, and that professional curiosity to continuously be professionally curious uh, and at all costs. Make sure that we are absolutely uh, reflective uh, and hold that duty of candour because it's all too easy for things to be, have a blind eye, stick your head in the sand. Um, the balance and the need to be more candid uh, rises the more closer you get to uh, the risk to life and people suffering. So for me, that's just uh, one of those absolute musts uh, that it must be done. Uh, in terms of uh, where next? Um, so there is a reason why I'm sitting at Lincoln City uh, as a Forest fan, um, because otherwise that would be somewhat ironic. Uh, so um, we're fortunate here to have a chief executive called Liam Scully. Uh, Liam's been here now for several years, having come from Doncaster. Uh, Liam is uh, undoubtedly a community-minded leader. He has, as chief executives do, all sorts of leadership challenges, uh, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Uh, and it's a difficult balance, I feel, for chief executives. And of course, touched by COVID-19 now uh, in terms of the uh, premature end to the season, certainly for this league anyway. Uh, so uh, Liam will be available and I know is really keen to speak with you and your participants uh, next Friday, uh, around about 12.15. Fantastic. No, great. It'll be fascinating to kind of get an insight in, in that role. I, I think there's so much we see within the chief executive football role, which is all about kind of what's going on on the pitch and around the plane. But actually, there's that much wider responsibility in and around the club and the community and everything that goes with it. So that, that, that's going to be fascinating to uh, fascinating to get that uh, insight. So thank you. That's a great, great handover and uh, very much enjoy that. Superb, Sean. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Some great insights for people to reflect on. I'm sure some stuff going through people's heads, you know, about, okay, how well am I doing on this stuff and how well am I taking care of me and, and sort of stepping into that leadership role, really, really myself as well. So thank you for stimulating that thought. We will be obviously sending through to you as well um, information so you can get on the performance room and take advantage of that, the belief, performance stuff and mental health. So anything that we can do that sort of brings more value to that as a big thank, thank you. you for being part of this, we'll, we'll be part of that. But uh, yeah, please keep doing the, 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 the work that you're doing, which is keeping us all safe and, uh, uh, more power to that and stay safe with that as well and uh, to everyone who was here today thank you for tuning in we'll see you next week and uh, stay safe over the weekend I'm uh, going to go and do the seventh birthday thing so I will very much look forward to that so uh, we will uh, finish there and uh, thank you very much everyone uh, see you next time thanks thanks again Sean. thank you Chris safe weekend everyone thank you for having me